Hello everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we are discussing family health centers and how COVID-19 has impacted their ability to provide care. My guest today is Sharon Chamberlain, Chief Executive Officer of Northern Nevada Hopes. Welcome, Sharon. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, this is great. I I really want uh, asked you to come on the podcast because I wanted everyone to know how safe it is uh, to go to Hopes to get your care, the services that you have to offer, um, and then how you've coped with the pandemic. So let's get started with some real preliminary uh, questions. How long has Hopes been in our community? Uh, we were founded in 1997 as a uh, as a service uh, medical agency for individuals living with um, HIV. And since 1997, I know you've had a tremendous amount of growth and you've expanded your service area. And so today now in 2020, what services do you provide and who do you offer these services to? So, so we're we're located right downtown uh, Reno, Nevada, and we offer integrated medical and medical care and wellness services. And so, um, our list of services includes adult and pediatric primary care, um, chronic disease management, wellness and nutrition, behavioral health counseling, substance use counseling, uh, case management services, pharmacy, radiology, and more. Um, and we do a team-based approach to care that gives patients access to a range of comprehensive services all in one in one location, a one-stop shop. And that that's an am- amazing amount of growth. Um, I know you've been there about eight years, and it seems like the majority of the growth has happened in the last five or six. It really has. Um, we decided to become a community health center and expand outside offering services just to our HIV-positive population um, back in 2012. And in 2013, we became a federally qualified health center. And so, um, you know, really the model is to reduce barriers to care and increase the likelihood of maintaining long-term health for individuals that have historically faced barriers to accessing care. So you take care of families, individuals, men, women, children, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, people on private insurance? That's right. So we take people regardless of their ability to pay. So Medicaid, uh, Medicare is also taken. We take private insurance. Um, Anything you have or don't have, uh, you're able to come and get services. And children too, pediatrics. Pediatrics too, yes. Cradle cradle to grave, the whole whole, uh, continuum of life, yes. Fabulous. And so let's uh, let's explain to the people listening what a federally qualified health center is. Well, I love the history of federally qualified health centers. So they were first established in 1965 as part of President Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty, and they're located in underserved areas. And, you know, the whole, the whole piece behind a federally qualified health center is that they have an open-door policy. And that's that's providing care regardless of an individual's ability to pay. So um, funding for the first two neighborhood health centers, as they were then called, um, was approved in 1965, and the program was uh, was launched. And so health centers accept patients who are usually rejected in most private clinics, like um, underinsured and uninsured individuals and low-income individuals and uh, migrant farm workers and immigrants and people experiencing homelessness and people who live in public housing. 
Um, one of the neat things about federally qualified health centers is that um, they are local nonprofit organizations and they're managed by a board of director that represents the patient population. So at least 51% of the members of a community health center's board needs to be um, receiving services at the health center. So, so patients literally get a say in how the health center is operated to a certain extent. That's right, and uh, it really helps us. You know, sometimes you, know, you think uh, we're going to expand hours and let's stay open later, and then you have somebody that's on your board or a group of people on your board that say, you know, no, we get off from the casinos at this time, and um, it would actually be better if you opened up at 5 a.m. Right. Uh, so it really keeps the services grounded in what the needs of our patients are. That's fabulous. Let's talk for another second about this growth of the last five or six years. I know you built a new building, um, and that building is on 6th Street, I believe. And yeah, 5th Street, right Fifth across Street. from Betos, yes. Thank you, 5th Street in Ralston. Are you expanding that site too? Uh, you know, we're we're always looking at ways to um, increase our capacity. We moved admin off-site, so we have a separate administration site now, and that allowed us to increase um, our capacity for clinical services and behavioral health and psychiatry services. Um, you know, I think I think our next step will be uh, looking further into um, into uh, p potentially opening up a new clinical site, um, which would allow us to have a like a pediatric uh, center of excellence or a behavioral health center of excellence, um, and that would allow more access uh, at our current clinic site. Also, it's fabulous, Sharon, and I I need to remind everyone, and if you don't know, that all of this expansion uh, and the ability to take care of so many people in our community is really about your vision. And when I say the last five or six years, I know that the expansion started with you coming on as the CEO. So congratulations to you for doing so much to our community, for our community. Yeah. Thank you. It's such a blessing, and we have such an amazing team at Hopes. Um, couldn't do anything without that amazing team. So um, we see the need growing and continuing to uh, shift in the community, so we just want to be able to create more access. Yeah, I sure can understand that. You and I may be at the front of the boat, you know, yelling row, but you got to have people get in the boat with you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so let's move on to the topic of the day, which seems to have been the topic of the day for the last four months and certainly has impacted in some way, my sense would be it's impacted everybody in our community, uh, whether you know somebody who's had COVID, whether you've had it, or whether it has to do with your employment or just the fact um, that your life has altered. Um, Mid-March was when our community started taking some precautions against the spread of COVID. It's when we realized COVID was probably going to come to our community. Can you remember back to mid-March mid and some of your thoughts that you had when you realized that that uh, hopes Northern Nevada hopes was going to have to deal with COVID, and then the actions that you took. Right, mid March seems like so long ago Doesn't now. Um, so much has transpired, right? Um, you know, we knew we knew very quickly uh, that we were going to need to adjust our model of care to both keep patients safe and to keep staff and our providers safe. Um, and so. So, you know, our, our immediate steps were what, what does it look like to alter care and be able to continue to provide care and stay open uh, during COVID-19? So that was our, that was our focus, um, was, was trying to figure out um, how, how do we keep the clinic clean, safe, 
right. um, sanitized and um, for our patients and for and for all of our staff. Mm-hmm. So what actions did you take? Where did you have enough masks and um, hand sanitizer? Yeah. Uh, you know that was that was the big push um, initially was to get the PPE that we needed and um, you know we we've gotten uh, you know very alarmingly low at times um, but we have never run out and um, we feel very fortunate about that something always comes through um, you know right before we right before we hit rock bottom and don't have the PPE because that right. would that would make us close our doors so. Yes. Um, the big action that we took was we moved um, all of our non-essential staff um, or administrative staff, et cetera, um, off-site and began to work from home. And we moved our whole behavioral health and psychiatry team um, off-site to also work from home. And so moving into telemed very, very rapidly um, was, was something that I'm very proud of how, how quickly we implemented that because it was such a significant shift um, of of our of our of our typical way of providing services, but I have to say I think it's really the silver lining of of all of this is um, the ability now to do to do um, telemed and um, offer services uh, to individuals through that mode because it's um, because it just cr increases the options for individuals to receive care and that increases access. Well, let's um, talk so about that. I think that. that's the big piece. Yeah, let's talk about that telemed for a second, Sharon. What what services can you do? You talked about behavioral health, so there can be counseling sessions over telemed, but what about uh, medical? Yes, we are doing medical, um, and it depends on the type of the visit. You know, some visits uh, we really have to have people come in, uh, but we're doing a lot of visits um, through telehealth now with medical also. And you know, one of the biggest challenges is is getting providers um, who have been trained in you know one one way to provide services to get them feeling comfortable um, and trusting of 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 this model of care. And we found that you know a lot of the patients are actually enjoying it and preferring it um, over having to come into into the agency. One because of COVID, um, but also just because of other barriers to care, such as transportation. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I think you brought up a real fabulous topic, which is the telemedicine and the push. I know that uh, I've talked to many private docs who had never uh, never done telemedicine with their practice that are now doing it, and, and they uh, feel it's very productive, and the patients seem to like it. That's right. That's right. It creates a lot of efficiencies, and um, you know we feel like it's it's here to stay, um, no matter what how COVID ends up, you know, it's going to be a part of our life. We know that moving forward. But, um, you know, even as things begin to reopen and uh, more people are comfortable coming into the clinic, we anticipate that we'll always continue our telehealth um, opportunities for folks. Were your staff um, scared? Did they, how did that, for your staff who are frontline people, the ones in your, your medical clinic, um, how did you address some of their concerns and anxiety? You know, I think we adapted uh, quickly to um, immediately wearing masks. We started wearing masks very early. Um, we started doing screenings for all staff um, every day as they come into work, um, temperature checks and, um, and symptom screens, as well as for all uh, patients that came on to the campus. 
Um, we began to offer parking lot visits. We set up a modular clinic outside in the parking lot so that individuals that show up and do have symptoms of COVID-19 or have a known exposure to COVID-19 uh, can be seen outside of uh, the building and, um, you know, to prevent anybody coming in that has um, active symptoms, obviously. And so I think that in a lot of communication, um, just being really upfront, things changed on a daily basis. They still right. do. And um, just ensuring that we're communicating with staff and letting them know where we are. And when we, when we slip up and need to change something, uh, we do it immediately and let people know. Well, let me ask you on that uh, parking lot uh, sort of medical endeavor that you did, were you able to do COVID testing? That is such a huge issue today. Yeah, yeah, we started doing COVID testing um, about a month, maybe six weeks ago, and um, and we're testing people that are um, symptomatic uh, or with known exposures that are our clients or our patients. Oh, I see. So we've done quite a few tests and uh, found quite a few positives um, from from people that are our patients, but we're not doing it for the general community yet. I see, and not for asymptomatic. That's right. Yeah. And how long does it take for for the test to get back that that you do on your patients? That's, no, it's yeah, we're still struggling about, with that. Yeah. Yeah, it takes about five to seven yeah. uh, days to yeah. get the test results back. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing, and I'm hoping that Kevin Dick will come on the podcast um, in the next week or so, our Washoe County Health Officer, but um, is once you're tested with COVID, getting a negative test after that takes could take three to four tests. It could take weeks to do. Yes. And if you yeah. get a negative yeah. test to go back to work, um, that becomes uh, very challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's a big request that we're having from patients is that they need that test. Yes. Um, so that is another group that we're testing. Yeah. Interesting. So let's talk about the safety of your clinic. What um, because I would imagine, uh, you know, your patients, of course, are no different than any other patients we have in our community. They want to be safe, and they need to get care. So I'm sure their concerns were, is it safe for me to go to the doctor? So what safety precautions from start to finish do you do when somebody comes in for an appointment, Sharon? Uh, so when somebody shows up, they um, get they line up actually outside, um, six feet apart, uh, and they get screened in the lobby of our building. Um, and so when they come in, they get screened with all the screening questions. They have their temperature taken. They're provided a mask, which is mandatory to wear inside um, and on the campus. And then they are sent um, upstairs to their appointment. You know, our facilities has done, a department has done a great job. Um, we wipe down all surfaces, literally every doorknob, uh, flat surface um, every hour. And uh, we have social distancing seating in our lobby. And um, we're managing people uh, as they come in um, so that we don't have big crowds uh, waiting in the lobby uh, for lab or, or x-ray or uh, even their medical appointments. So we're kind of managing the flow. Um, and then anybody that does screen uh, positive, has any kind of symptoms, they are offered testing and they have a nurse triage out in the parking lot and then they're able to see a provider outside in the parking lot also. I see. And when they if when they come into the facility, if they need x-ray lab work or something, 
the same precautions they're taking. All of your people that come in need masks, right? That's right. That's right. Yes, masks are just important everywhere um, on our campus and just in, 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 in public and everywhere. have got to wear a mask. Have you, have you found, Sharon, that some of your patients have put off their health care needs because they're so concerned with coming, coming into a, a private clinic? Oh, we sure have. You know, it was so interesting when this first hit. Um, you know, we had about a 60% drop um, in our visits uh, as people were just feeling concerned about coming into the clinic. Um, that's gone way back up now, and so we're seeing about 73% of our um, of our normal um, visits at this point. But you know, in particular, what we found are families with children uh, were very hesitant, and so that's leading to other pieces, um, such as individuals or kids not getting their vaccinations, for example, um, because the parents have been hesitant to come in. So we're doing a lot of outreach and um, a lot of education. Um, feel like Hopes is actually very safe, as, as some of the hospitals have said. It's, you know, some of their environments are uh, cleaner than they've ever ever been, right, right? right? And safer because of all the protocols now in place. Um, so we encourage people to not not, you know, uh, neglect their health or their chronic conditions or their vaccinations, um, and to ensure that they continue that so that they don't have additional issues and challenges to deal with when um, when they feel more comfortable in coming in. Yeah. We know that uh, COVID may not have hit people from a health standpoint, but it certainly has hit them from a social economic standpoint. I know that you have many, many services for people in need of the basic services of life, food, shelter, clothing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you offer? Sure, you know, and we anticipate such an increase in need for these services as the moratorium from evictions is lifted and, um, you know, people continue to suffer or deal with unemployment, et cetera. So um, we offer a lot of um, housing services so um, we can work with individuals and families um, to help them uh, keep their home um, or, uh, or um, you know, move into some kind of housing. Um, we have some funds for those kinds of things for our patients. Um, and then we also just work really closely with our other community partners, just like you and the food bank, um, in order to ensure our, our patients have access to some of the most basic needs um, that many of them um, have not ever uh, had, had those needs before. And um, so they're really experiencing um, something that is very unique to them and really needs a lot of education and linkage to other services um, in order to be in order to to sustain to sustain their uh, living arrangements or life. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I think that it, there's been phases of this, don't you think? The initial oh my goodness, and then a little more understanding of the impact, um, and now we're into the long term of it. Um, what do you think your plan is for the rest of 2020, and what are your biggest concerns for our community in the rest of 2020? Yeah, you know, for us at Hopes, we're just gearing up for um, more uh, uh, more people needing access to our services. So we're trying to enhance um, case management and. 
um, our behavioral health and psychiatry services, our addiction services. We're seeing addiction um, being impacted by this as more people uh, relapse because they're not having the um, the communication and the sense of community that they often have that helps them so much in their sobriety. Mm-hmm. So um, we're we're gearing up to uh, be able to provide more services. I think the big concern for the community um, is, for me anyway, is both the unemployment and the housing um, situation. I think it's just going to become very dire um, here around the winter, um, December, January of our um, of this year, and um, really concerned about individuals uh, losing their housing and not being able to get into another another home. And um, that will be really hard to see some of our seniors and families and things out um, out on the street. Yeah. I think it's a very real threat. Well, and I think we're, we hear so much um, conversation about the surge in the late fall and into the winter and um, and that we will have another surge of the virus at that time when we're all indoors. Yes. Yeah, that, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And how we how we deal with that with our our patients and our clientele. Um so over the next 6 months, do you think that if there is a vaccine, will the FQHCs be some of the first on the list to get it, do you think? Yeah. Um yeah, I think we'll be so hard pressed. I don't think we'll see something for for yeah. a couple of years, but yeah. Um, I hope, and it would make sense if uh, FQHCs um, across the country were one of the one of the early early adopters of um, being able to get that vaccine out. Uh, that would make sense. I'm not sure. Um, you know, FQHCs have historically had a lot of bipartisan support, and um, and that remains today. So um, I think that it would be a natural fit for the vaccine to um, hit the FQHCs. And Tab, you and I are doing this uh, taping of this podcast on July 10th, and the governor came out this week with some of the budget cuts and the cuts to Medicaid. Is that going to impact you, Sharon? Well, you know, the way that it's going to impact us, it looks like our rates um, potentially uh, are safe. We're not not 100% sure of that, but um, that's what we've been told. Um, because of some federal protections for federally qualified health centers. Um, but it's going to impact the community. The hospitals are going to be hit so hard yep. um, and absorb so much of these cuts. And when that happens with the hospitals, what you see is, you know, a uh, and then with the perfect storm of, you know, people beginning to um, end up in a, you know, end up in a situation where they're experiencing homelessness or, um, you know, drug addiction increasing and uh, unemployment. It's just a perfect storm um, for uh, for for a real uh, challenging, challenging time that will take us years and years to recover from. Um, you know, I don't know if we ever fully recovered from from the uh, financial recession that we had before. So um, we're already starting, you know, already starting back a few steps. And once we start wiping out some of these services for behavioral health and dental and, um, you know, the impact on the community is just, it's going to be very significant. So what do you think is the most important thing for the members of our community to do over the next six months? Um, Mask wearing, what else? Uh, I think be kind and be patient. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I think we could all use a little bit more um, just being kind and being patient with each other um, through all of this. Um, remembering that, you know, individuals, you know, we don't know what their story is and it's important to find out people's stories because a lot of people are going to be struggling and, and suffering through this. And um, we need to be able to stay connected, even though it's difficult um, from a social distance standpoint, but stay connected to our neighbors and our fellow fellow human beings here here in the wonderful city of Reno and Washoe County. Well, Sharon, that's a wonderful way to complete this podcast. Uh, we've been talking about Northern Nevada Hopes. Um, it's an FQHC here in our community, and it serves a great deal of people. We've been talking about how COVID-19 has impacted hopes. And Sharon Chamberlain, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, Northern Nevada Hopes, has been explaining to us in great detail how safe it is to come to Hopes and to get your health care. She's been explaining to us that they have telemedicine available if you are not comfortable coming to the clinic. Uh, but reach out. What phone number would you have people call, Sharon? Great. They can call our main number. It's 775 786-4673. Fabulous. And remember, uh, people listening, don't put off your health care because it is available to you. Thank you so much, Sharon, for being on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, Thank you, for Sharon. listening. Yes, this has been fabulous. For a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And everybody listening, stay safe and please wear your masks.